Hello everybody and welcome to the very first Portroids cast. My name is Rick and I'll uh, be the host of this podcast. This first edition we are interviewing um, George Hardy and Michael Paul Stevenson from the movies Troll 2 and Best Mo- uh, excuse me Best Worst Movie and they are they were at the Denver Film Festival, the Stars Denver Film Festival, and they sat down with me for about a half hour and here's that interview. First question is how you guys got involved in Troll 2. Was there a casting process? I know you were, were you a dentist before? Okay, so, and then this was your first movie and only movie until recently, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. This is George, uh, George Hardy. Yeah, George, I'm the dentist from Alabama. (laughs) I I presently live in Alabama now, but, uh, yeah, I was practicing dentistry in Salt Lake in in the 1980s, and about um, toward the end of my um, 10-year stint there, I was actually going out on a postdoctorate program, but <laughs> not really hanging my shingle out in Salt Lake, but, but I had fun playing in the Y session. was uh, pretty much part-time dentist, but it, one of my patients asked me to, uh, to go up and audition for a film that was uh, going to be auditioning up in Park City. So uh, I took her up on it, kind of a long story short, <laughs> amongst all these uh, guys walking up into uh, the uh, room to interview. Um, I was one of the guys chosen inside a smoke-filled room uh, with about nine Italians in there, and Michael will tell you the same thing. Uh, no one spoke English, and I read a script that I had no idea what was going on when I did it. Uh, I co-read it, and, uh, and then two days later I got a phone call. I can't remember if I had an agent or not. I think I had an agent. Uh, uh, just to get one to go to interview for this movie. And <laughs> I ended up um, getting the call and I got the lead dad part in Troll 2 in 1989, the summer of 1989. Mine was very similar. I was, I was 10 years old at the time, yeah. living in Utah. And um, I had, up until that point, I had only done stage plays, I loved theater. And actually, I just signed up with an agency in Salt Lake City, and the agent called my parents and they said, there's this great horror movie that's coming into town. Uh, we think Michael would be perfect for, for the lead. And so I, you know, went to the audition, and I, you know, like George said, I was in this hotel room, and lines and lines of people, and I just remember walking into this room, same deal, and I remember my eyes just burning because of the smoke and just being like, you know, and hearing all this, the room Italian, is about this size right here. Italian chatter, and, and then all of a sudden, Claudio, like, the director, like, emerged from the smoke, and he knelt down and said, okay, improvise, improvise, and I just looked at him, and I remember him saying, pretend there's scary spider on your face, and I screamed. And and then you know to pretend you're in a scary house, and I just remember screaming a lot. Everyone okay here with drinks? Can I bring anybody anything to drink? No, we're good. Water, yeah, soda, we're good. tea. We're good. Um, and I just remember screaming a lot. And then at the end, he looked at me and said, "You may go." And a couple of days later, I got a call from my agent and said. Good news, Michael got the lead role, he's the star of this movie. 
and they spent, you know, we celebrated, and it was like, oh, Hollywood, here I come. And we, the, the agent sends the script to my parents, and my dad, you know, he's, 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 he's very much a financial type, he's, you know, accounting background, not so much a creative type, but I remember him going through the script and just kind of like each page, his look on his face got more and more crossed between, you know, being completely perplexed and slightly disturbed. And uh, I remember at the end, you know, he finished reading the script and he just said, I don't know, Michael, this is a really strange movie. Are you sure you want to do this? And I insisted. The lead. This is my chance, you know, and, and my parents said, well, why not? We don't know how to make movies. And that's how they Excellent. And then, um, I guess uh, the next question is, uh, and I, I've seen your, your movie, uh, Best Worst Movie, and I was telling George earlier, I haven't seen Troll 2 yet, oh, wow. <laughs> but you know, now I have to see it, you know, <laughs> after seeing your movie. Um, but, and you touched on this in the documentary, but while you were filming the movie, did you realize it was a bad movie? I mean, it sounds like you know from your dad reading the script <laughs> that he thought maybe, but no. You know that's the thing is when when we were making the movie, nobody set out to make you know make us so bad it's good movie. Nobody right. intentionally you know winked at the camera. They delivered the most awful line delivery. Uh, we was, everybody was everybody was trying to make yeah. a good movie and we failed miserably. Uh, <laughs> And I mean, I remember as a kid just thinking, I'm making the next Labyrinth, you know, the next Gremlins, or uh, I just felt like, just, you know, we were making a movie, and it felt still, you gotta keep in mind that none of us had ever been on a movie set before, and even looking back, it still felt like a movie set, it just wasn't quite, well, you know. Because yeah, Michael was 10 and I was 34, and I can remember we would do scenes, and, you know, and, and, that, and Claudia would shoot us, and, and we'd do them maybe one or two times, and, and because there was that 64 millimeter film, right? So some kind of expensive film that they were running at the time, and and he would say cut or whatever, and you didn't know whether he wanted to, but and and, and I remember a couple times I'd look up at him like, don't you want to do this again? I mean, are you sure we got this right? You know. And oh, and he would kind of go like that, and we'd move on to the next thing. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I don't know if that's going to look good, very good when it goes in. You know, we were just innocent, but we were all, like Michael said, we were just trying to make a good film. And that's really what sets, I really, you know, with movies that are so bad, they become, you know, kind of these unintentional comedies. Is that uh, they're 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 actions. You know, you can't set out to make a movie like Twelve Right, unless you're doing it with irony, and, you, right. and even yeah. then, it seems it's totally fake. different. Yeah, it's not. So, and you have snakes on a yeah. plane, and nobody enjoyed that. You know, it's like it's the same deal. As, it's as simple as like you know, you're driving down the street and you see somebody slip on a banana peel. You may chuckle if 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 you know that that they did it on purpose. You know, somebody yeah. else. It's like, well, yeah, it's stage. Yeah, right, right. So. Uh, actually, you, you mentioned Claudio, and I noticed in, in your documentary, uh, everyone seems to be in on, this is a cult classic, and for the same reasons you said. You know, people love it, they think it's funny, but they think it's funny, and uh, but they have a genuine love for it. Right. And But Claudio, in, in your film, doesn't seem to have the same impression. Um, and I don't know if... if 
if, the, if that's just because he's so close to it or if it's because he thinks people are mocking it, you know, and it's hard to, to tell. And I, I just wonder if you guys had any insight on that. Well, I think that, you know, in the film you see that whole process of him coming to the first screening and and starting to understand, you know, so they laugh at the funny parts and they laugh at the parts that aren't funny. But, you know, at the end, I think he says one of the most important things. He says, whether people laugh or cry, whether they're afraid or, you know, the most important thing is that you leave an impression or that the film moves you. And I think, although it's maybe not what he expected as far as before, as he learned this, I mean, you know, he thought, it's his, it's, it's, it was his like work of art, you know, it was his American film. And even though his expectation of why it was being received well maybe wasn't aligned, I don't think he appreciates it any less because he has done something remarkable, yeah. you know. And think of like the courage it would have taken him just to make the film in the first place. Come to Utah, make a film about vegetarian goblins, you can't even begin, you're working with actors who've never acted before, and you're still saying, I'm going to do it my way. And he can take credit for uh, so much of that. You know, whether it's intentional or unintentional, there is a very strange uh, brilliance to it. And that part of brilliance is what Michael's talking about, that, that I was able to see it as I was able to operate with him. Uh, uh, n now, when we made that first movie in the documentary, and then also when we were making Troll 2, is Claudio operates, he doesn't operate from the head, he operates from the heart, and he really doesn't give a damn what other people think. It, it's just, he would change, I remember there would be times uh, he'd change things in Troll 2, you know, he'd change the script up or whatever, and he didn't care, and he just, you know, he, he didn't care what people would think, or he didn't care what kind of impression. Uh, whether that left it good or bad, he just he wanted to make something uh, uh, like he's an artist. He's just an artist, and I admire that about him. I, respect I, did, I, did I really respect I, it's it. It's so easy, audio. you know, especially making films. Yeah, it's so easy to play it safe. It's so it's easy fine. to go with what everybody yeah. tells you you should do. Yeah, go up with a norm to please right. the norm. And he did something completely, well, yeah. even though it's not as he intended. Mm -hmm. You can't take away the fact that it is entertaining and that it has left an impression. And that's what you strive to do with the film anyway. And one last thing too, I mean Rosella, his wife, you know, she writes this incredible adult, you know, fairy tale. She wrote she wrote Troll right. too. I understand she's got an ideas she's already written Troll Three or two point five or whatever. Yeah, I saw that in, in the <laughs> in movie. I was gonna ask yeah. you about that. So maybe last now they're working on it. My my question is It won't work. That's that's what I'm asking. It, will it be this like we talked about earlier, this ironic take on uh, let's try to make it, this funny? It's, yeah, it's hard to know because he um, he still you know he'll never Claudio will never tell you that Troll Two is a bad movie. Right, he won't. And to be honest, it's messed me up so bad. I don't know if I can say it's a bad movie. Sure. Um, Did you say it's messed me up so bad? <laughs> yeah, really. Like That's really the truth. I mean, we both have been so immersed in this whole thing. I'm sometimes thinking the same thing. But I think so you know, bad. if you set out to make a movie like Troll Two, if your intention is to set out and do that, you'll fail. It's you right. can't do no. something like that. Um, it's not to say that. If anybody had any chance, it would be him and putting him back into the director's seat and tell him to make his masterpiece. But 
I I don't know. It's hard to know. You know, when he came to LA, when he saw the line, this kind of gives you a little idea of how he thinks. But he saw the line outside of LA, the theater, and he pulled me aside and he said, "Michael, we have to make a sequel. Look at this." And he was so, you know, immediately. And so he's there. There, you know, they want they want to make a sequel. I and maybe they're the people to do it. Maybe. Like you're saying, because That's, because uh, that, they're that to do the it. way that they view the first right. one. And they are so detached still, and they really still don't. They don't, just because of cultural barriers, language barriers, everything, they still don't understand everything behind the movie. Right. You know, they, they, they don't, uh, you know, understand the irony of something so bad as good. And, and you mentioned that, you, you know, that it kind of messed you up. <laughs> and I know that in, in your documentary, you mentioned that you were just mortified when you saw it the first time. And uh, what finally got you to embrace this film and to go to the fan events and just participate and you know you you moved back you went back into dentistry full-time and you've yeah. <laughs> that's just been your life yeah, but, uh, yeah I, both of you kind of have gone you know to, to screenings and participated right. in various things I um I've always wanted to work in entertainment and, and be a filmmaker and an actor since as long as I you know, could remember um, and up until four years ago I uh, I didn't even look at Troll 2. You know, I didn't think about it. It was as far as far away from my mind as possible. And in fact, I just had, wanted nothing to do with it. And then I I moved back to Los Angeles, you know, four years ago from Utah, and I was continuing as an actor and as a, a, a filmmaker. And had written a script and and was going after it. But I was going after it the same way everybody else goes after it. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Um, started getting these messages. And this was before any, keep in mind that this was before any Troll 2 resurgence. No screenings, nothing. No, you know, it was, it was before any of this happened. And I started getting these messages from fans on, um, or from kids on MySpace. And they were like 20-something, you know, college kids. And they'd write me these messages and they'd say, we're huge fans of Troll 2. You know, we watch it every single weekend. And um, at first, I just remember, you know, and then they, and they would say things like, "Are you Joshua Wade? Please, you know, say it is so." And I remember looking at these and thinking, you know, just why? What? I'm gonna die and be remembered as a kid who pees all over his family's dinner. You know, like what this this movie it has this will to live. And I and then it was all within the span of like a month, two months, and then all of a sudden I got more messages with like um, pictures of kids having these Troll 2 parties in basements around an old television, you know, just having the best time of their lives, dressing up, eating green food, and I remember just looking at those pictures and being like, wow, you know, how many, Troll 2 had kind of come into that on its own, you know, you had to find Troll 2 and pass it to somebody else and it was spreading kind of virally. And I had just finished reading this book called The Tipping Point, right at that time. And I remember just thinking, oh, this is really fascinating. You think of all these movies in, you know, in Hollywood, surrounded by movies that are spent hundreds of millions of dollars just to find their audience or to make an impression or to be remembered. And here Troll 2 is, this film that should have been forgotten about. Most of us wished we, it would have been. And it had just kind of come into it on its own. It was a timing thing, because all of a sudden, I woke up one morning and it was, it was wild. I can't explain the feeling. I woke up one morning and I turned to my wife and I just said, 
I'm the star of the worst movie ever made. This, this is, there's a story here. And I thought, of course, this is a perfect opportunity to, to tell the story. And I thought, what happened to George? You know, the guy I used to wrestle with on set. And what does Claudio think about people loving his movie because it's bad? And that's when I thought, you know, best worst movie. And right at that time, I reconnected with George, and then uh, like a couple months after that, it was that New York City screaming. Yeah. And then it was just like this steamroll. Fate well, has its way, but on my end, what was happening with me, same thing was happening with Mike with MySpace on my end, is uh, I saw Troll 2, it came back on Showtime, you know, because it was shown on pay-per-view. And I got a phone call from my kid you know, doing a radio documentary on it. And doing like a radio essay. Yeah, radio essay. Yeah. And he was doing a, and anyway, the bottom line is he said, if you don't believe me, check out IMDb right now. Troll 2 is at the bottom 100. It's number one. is the worst film ever. So I went in, and for the first time ever, I didn't, knew, I didn't even know what IMDb was. And then I looked down, and I saw in the forum, and it had a Troll 2 cast reunion party at Provo, Utah. And this is April the 13th of 2006. And it was April the 11th that I found the, the forum invite two days before. And so I flew out to it. I had no idea on my end, being in Alabama, I had no idea what was going on with Troll 2. Went to the screening, and then I then called Michael, and we connected. So all this stuff was going on with him on his end, and all of a sudden I have this awakening too. And he just said, we, and both of us just said, we, we've got to tell the world this story. And then later on after the Upright Citizens Brigade thing, which you saw, he said, yeah. would you be the vehicle? tell the story and I said sure follow me you know come on well, yeah, George was yeah. very gracious to let me yeah. invade his life for yeah, three for years, three years. <laughs> and really I going to New York I didn't he didn't know well I, um, I I knew how I wanted to tell the story I knew that I wanted it to be character driven I'm a fan of documentaries like um, I don't know if you've seen American movies King of Kong yeah. but docs that are like feel like they're a narrative and I wanted to go that approach but I didn't know who how that was going to happen, and I wasn't I wasn't interested in telling a story that was like experts on the outside saying, "Here's a phenomenon. Let's define this." You know what? You know that I wanted it to be people who were actually involved and and getting their perspective from from them out to what was happening. And I I knew early on I didn't want to hang the camera on myself. It just didn't feel. Uh, well, one would be really difficult because I shot a lot of it. But um, I, when we went to New York, and there was this long line wrapped around the building, we were walking up to the theater, and we didn't realize it was even Patrol Two. We thought it was something else. And we stepped out of the car, and people recognized George, and the whole like line went crazy. Farm <laughs> and George is like Michael, and he like lit up, and I'm like, that's that's the guy. Yesterday he was drilling cavities, you know, in, in small town Alabama, and now he's, you know, and I, I, as you saw in the movie, he has one of those personalities that's very um, uh, attractive and engaging. Absolutely. Um, uh, that, that leads into the next question. Uh, I feel like your movie is really well made. It's um, and it has the narrative flow to it, which at times. You know, as, as I was watching it, I forgot there was a documentary. Right. You know, it seemed like one of these mockumentary films that you see, like Christopher Guest movie, right. and especially there's a scene uh, in Margot's house where you're right. singing "Row, Row, Row Your Boat," right. and then you pan to her mother, and it's just, you know, it's it's a hilarious moment, but it's you forget that it's real. Right. And um, I just wonder, you know, 
was all that just lucky happenstance, or did you guys kind of let's let's put something together and, and see what 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 falls in place? Well, you know, with a, with a, with a documentary, um, you know, we sh we ended up shooting over 400 hours of footage, and we we had principles that we stuck to. Uh, within the editing room on things we would do and we wouldn't do and we knew George was kind of you know we, we had these we had these kind of uh, characters and we knew George was more or less the vehicle but when you shoot so many hours of footage it's so much of it goes into um, well even before that you know before I started the film I had a feeling that the project would lend itself well to a real life Christopher Guest type movie I didn't think we'd have to do anything, and when you, you know, when you shoot a documentary and you shoot enough, and you're engaged with characters and you create an environment that's, you know, uh, that's open, you, it's amazing the results that you can get, you know. Um, what some people I don't think realize is that, that doesn't just, ha you know, it happens, but you have to find that and craft that into a story so that it has arcs. And so that it has, you know what I mean. So there's actually a story. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very um, the film is very minimalist and sim and simple, uh, I, it, with the intention that we don't. I didn't want any sort of dis distraction or any eyes on you know the filmmakers or the. Ed I wanted it to be the people. Like that's where I thought there was so. I mean, we got incredibly blessed with having George be this amazing character on screen. And then we had Claudio, who was, I mean, ridiculously, I mean, just awesome, so transparent. We had Dawn, we had Margot, we had Grandpa, and a lot of that really comes down to, you know, every interview that we shot, and George will attest to this, I think he got tired sometimes, but we'd shoot six or seven hours, and it was so much about just getting to know the other person. And um, and and creating that, you know, you know, with Margot, when we showed up, it was like the bright spot in her month. And as soon as I said, "Hey, let's, you know, should we reenact a scene?" She's like, "Yeah, let's do it." And it was very clear that this is going to be great. And of course, Katie, the camera person, thank goodness, had enough intuition to pan over to the ground, which was just <laughs> she's a comedian all herself too. And, uh, you know, another interesting thing about that is the um, the people that. I worked with in, in uh, editing the film, Katie and Andrew. Katie was a, a, she did a lot of the shooting with me and Andrew was the editor. They had never, we'd never edited a movie before. They were actually Troll 2 fans and they contacted me right before the New York screening out of the blue as fans and they sent me this little mashup Troll 2 trailer that made Troll 2 look like this heartwarming, independent, Little Miss Sunshine film. <laughs> and it was amazing. And I just thought, oh, Michael Collins, so George, you will not believe what Loved it. Done. And, and yeah. it just so happened that it was like when it came time to edit, well, Katie was a shooter, she had the same camera as me, and so we started shooting together. And then when it came time to edit, we said, I, it was very clear to me that we're all coming from the same space. We've got a great environment here to make this movie. You guys understand Troll 2. It takes takes a little bit to wrap your head around it. And you're coming at it from a fan perspective. And so I guess what I'm trying to say in a very long about roundabout way is that we, we are all very, we, we have a lot of, um, we really have a, a lot of genuine care for everything that went into this movie and the characters and how they were treated and the story that we told. It was like, 
I mean, it was one of the best creative kind of you know environments that that you could have. And now the relationships that are built from making the documentary. Well, yeah, are and so even, powerful. When, I remember when you know when we were starting to edit, you know, there are other people on the outside who would say, "Hey, you need to work with an, an experienced editor, editor who's got." XYZ and all these films under its belt, and there was some pressure in that area. And I just remember thinking, no, you know, I don't care about that. I want to be at the same like space. Like this is, they're coming from the same place. I, you know, and it was the best decision that I made because those were the people that were working with me at four in the morning. You know, those were the people who really had an interest. So, um, yeah. No, no, sorry, that was very long. No, it's great. And then um, my next question was uh, for you, George. Are you, I, I saw, as I mentioned, that you have been in another movie since then, since Best Worst Movie came out, oh. but was filmed, right? Uh-huh. I saw that on IMDb. And uh, my question is, are you looking to get back into acting, or is it dentistry <laughs> well, for you? Well, first of all, that other little movie uh, that on IMDb was, uh, Michael wanted me to read for a part for another film, just to get it on, uh, on uh, I kind of did that, to, so we could, Put it in the best worst movie, you know. So I, my intentions were not to really be in another film at all. But at that well, time, well, no, back to back. Yeah, what happened was, yeah. is there were troll two fans that were in L.A. That's right. And uh, George was in L.A. at the same time. Yeah. And they said, hey, could you know, could we meet up and and um, uh, can we get George to read a line or two? And George, as you have already guessed, is not shy. Yeah. And so he wanted to do it, so we went over and I thought, oh, this is great. So I actually filmed that documentary. It didn't end up in the final cut. Um, it, it was actually in an earlier teaser mm-hmm. trailer that we did a couple of years ago. But then those film students took, but, yeah, took and that and they finished that film. So George, yeah. But not, you know, Michael, I mean, Michael said he's not going to give up until I get on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> right, that's my whole goal. <laughs> that's my whole goal from the very beginning. That's his whole goal. <laughs> You know, but no, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of fun with this whole thing, and especially to be here in Denver at the film festivals. I mean, it's, it's almost uh, surreal, even to have a an interview with you, you know, and to have your picture taken with you know all the other celebrities that you've had taken. But uh, you know, I just I tell Michael sometimes we both know this from our journey that life's too short. Now, if something else were to come up, you know, I would I would take the opportunity if something came about. Uh, not not really to leave my practice, uh, but. But yeah, I, I mean, I really just wait. Yeah, <laughs> if something were to happen, but you know, I, I think we're on the, we're really on the, is it precipice or we're on the road? <laughs> we're just, I think we, I mean, we've really shown a lot in, uh, at a lot of these film festivals, and just the, the, the end result has just been incredible. You, you enjoyed the documentary. Absolutely. It's hilarious. Yeah. You know, it's just so fun. It's just so much fun. We had a, um, I don't want to talk to talk too much, but we had our. Our, our film was an opening film uh, at the uh, Sidewalk Film Festival in Birmingham. About 2,500 came like last night, yeah. and it was just—it was just amazing to see the laughter and the fulfilled joy in the room. <laughs> it's just—it's a feel-good movie. So from that, you know, people might might be interested in having us do something else because we have put joy in a lot of people's hearts, and it has. Well, been I really, mean, in short, we had a lot of fun. George has a uh, an on-screen. Presence that's very absolutely. I mean, it's not you know. Uh, so I'm sure. I, I imagine that I'll start fielding calls from other filmmakers that want you in their movies. So I guarantee it. Yeah. I'd mentioned uh, to some of my friends that I was going to be interviewing you guys. You know, and I haven't seen Troll Two. But then they started talking about uh, Nilbog, and they wanted to, uh, one of them. You know, said, "I'm going to go watch the movie right now." I, I mean, it literally has that impact on people. I, 
as you've seen and as right. you've documented. Um, now, there are those fans, the Troll 2 fans, that are, are just so into it. But then I noticed in the documentary that you guys tried to go to conventions, like horror convention and uh, you know different uh, memorabilia. memorabilia conventions, and there was just no reaction. And it, it, and it just seems that the people that are into it are into it, but everyone else just shrugs their shoulders and says, I don't know what this is. Uh, why do you think that, that you can't essentially push this on to people? Well, that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's a very, it takes a very specific type of person that likes Troll 2 that goes out to see movies intentionally like Troll 2. It, it's kind of like you almost have to be kind of part of this club or have certain... You know, I've seen that it's usually usually kids are into film or music or art. You know, I, I think it, you get tired of everything else that's always the same and you just want something different. And uh, so you start looking for films like Troll 2 or you hear about it. You want to be... You want to be. You want to have some sort of, you know, uh, experience with the film. You're so tired of seeing movies that you just nothing. It doesn't move you in any way. Um, but the uh, thing that's the thing that's really interesting about best worst that we've seen. Maybe this is a bad thing. <laughs> is that more people are becoming interested in Troll 2. Well, I am. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've right. seen your movie, but I right. haven't seen Troll 2. And right. now I want to see right. it because it seems like the kind of thing I would enjoy for the same <laughs> right. reasons everyone else that enjoys it does. Right. It's kind of like, you know, you know, if you have your own little, like, local band that you find or your little playlist on your iPod that you kind of keep, you know, you it's for yourself and you pass it to your friends. It's that same type of thing. Best Worst Movie has been interesting to see because people, like, you know, we'll have... 60 year old, 70 year old women come out of the theater after Best Worst Movie and they say, I gotta go see Troll 2. They would never, ever think about that, but because they've been introduced to it in a, a, a way that's an engaging character like George again, but in a way that's fun and makes you feel like you're part of something, it, it, it provokes that I've got I've to see this. You know, I've got to go and see. In fact, after our South by Southwest premiere, Troll 2 was the number three rental on Netflix for the state of Texas. So, and I actually think the movie plays, I think Best Worst Movie even plays better for those who've never seen Troll 2 or know nothing about it because you're really introduced to something that's quite spectacular. And I guess my, my last question is just kind of what, what the future is. That you guys have more film festivals? Are you going to be directing anything new? Are you going to be on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> you know? <laughs> What can we look yeah. forward to? Oh, yeah. oh, well, we will get you on Dancing with the Stars. That's my whole goal. Um, I right now we're kind of on the tail end of our film festival. Yeah. You know, played in, I, all over the world, um, and we're just getting ready to wrap that up. And we're talking to distributors now um, and figuring out how that's going to look. Um, as you probably guessed, I'm not about to just hand it off. Like, this is such a, a meaningful project to me, and I've seen how the impact that it can have on people that I want to make sure it has the ability to reach the audience that it can. And so I'm, I'm trying to be very involved with distribution and how, how it gets out there. And with a film like this, as you may have guessed, it's, you always kind of fight an uphill battle to find a big audience because uh, it is so kind of specific or niche. And so you, we really rely on word of mouth. You know, people, 
you know, may be inclined at first glance to say, oh, it's about Troll 2. I've never seen Troll 2. I don't want to watch a documentary about Troll 2. But once they hear it from popular friends, like, you don't have to see Troll 2. Just right. watch. Then, and it's that word of mouth that we're really trying to, to, um, to generate. And we have, um, you know, we're doing a, uh, I'm kind of looking at putting together a, um, we have a theatrical release that will be in the early spring. And before that, I'm looking at doing a, um, like a college or a university campaign within like six weeks and hitting some of the big film schools and schools throughout the country and creating this event around the worst movie ever made. Showing Troll 2 at midnight and best worst movie before. Right, like you're doing here. Right. Is that that tonight you're doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And have George there maybe like checking people's teeth (laughs) and just like having fun with it, you know. And I think there's the, 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 the word of mouth on it um, yeah, it's, and it, it always kind of sucks being the director trying to sell your own film, but this is something that I've seen the word of mouth be really strong on. And so the more that we can keep gaining and getting a broad audience, then I think the stronger opening we'll have when we, when we have theatrically. It's hard. It's, a, it's an uphill battle. It's just, you know, trying to... Trying to trying to do it, it's tough. Um, so there's that, and then just starting to. I this is what I want to do. Um, I've had other um, narratives, actually scripts that have been sent to me, but I don't know. I don't know yet what I'm going to do next. And really, my mind's not there yet. Like I've got to make sure that this is that I've given this all I have. It, it plays so well in the theater, too. You haven't seen it in the theater. Best worst movie. No, no. But it just Are you going to come tonight? I can't. I'm flying out of town tonight. Oh, right. I got the street ahead of time. All right, cool. Make sure I can but, uh, get it. Yeah, cool. hopefully one day you get to see it in the theater. And probably here, because I'll show it back. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure we'll be back in Denver again. I, this has been a really good interview. Michael and I get hit with a lot of interviews, but you're, it, just being in a private sitting like this has really been pretty much cutting edge of what's going on with us right now, you know, with where we are with this whole thing. So your questions have been really good. Oh, and, uh, thank you. I yeah, really appreciate you really guys. Great. You know, I, it's, it's, our, really, it's our pleasure, and, and help us spread yeah. the word. Yeah. Well, that's it for this time. I'd like to thank Michael Paul Stevenson and George Hardy for taking the time to sit down with me during the Stars Denver Film Festival. As you can tell from listening to them, they are a couple really great guys, and it was a pleasure to meet them. Uh, I'd taken some portraits of them individually on the opening night red carpet for the festival, and then I took a Polaroid of them together following the interview. But you should uh, go to portroids.com to have a look. And you can learn more about their documentary, Best Worst Movie, and find out where you can check out all uh, future screenings at bestworstmovie.com. If you want to see the actual Best Worst Movie, you can watch Troll 2 on hulu.com. In fact, you should go watch it right now. You won't be sorry, probably. Until next time, this is Rick saying goodbye forever.